This is a Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library. Okay, good, uh, good afternoon, everybody. Thanks for coming. I appreciate it. We're going to get started with our panel today about zombies and art and pop culture, which um, I think is going to be fun. We have a good group of panelists here who I'll introduce in a second. This is part of our one-book program on World War Z. Uh, check out our website. There's some other events coming up. Uh, one that I want to point out, or actually two that I want to point out, this Saturday, I think it's 7 on the quad, they're showing the movie World War Z for free. So come, um, bring your blankets. Hopefully it'll be a good night. If it does rain, they're going to move it inside, so don't worry, it'll still happen. So uh, that's kind of a good opportunity. Um, additionally, starting October 23rd, we're going to be playing our zombie apocalypse game, World War M, campus-wide game with 2,000 people. Uh, it's free to play. We want to encourage you to come and play with us. The rules are online. Uh, there's no killing zombies, so don't freak out that you're going to be chased around campus. Uh, it's kind of a campus-wide experiment about a pandemic. Uh, it should be fun, so take a look at that. It'll be good. So with that being said, Let's get into our panel. I'm going to start at the end of the table, and I'll do some quick introductions. Um, all the way at the end is Jason King, extraordinaire. He teaches in uh, geography and mathematics. To his left is Tish Hayes. She's one of our librarians. To her left is Carrie Millsap Spears from literature. To her left is Craig Rosen from theater. To his left is Eric Lagatuda from fine arts, our resident painter. And uh, I'm Troy Swanson. I'm the department chair here in the library. So... Let's dive in. I'm going to ask Tish to get us started with kind of a brief history of zombies and zombie-like things. All right. So I'm going to preface this by saying I'm not a zombie. Into the microphone, please. All right. Can you hear me in the back? Awesome. So I'm going to preface this by uh, saying I'm not a zombie scholar by any means, but I find them fascinating. And not only is there a ton of information online about zombies, as you probably all know, but um, we have this awesome book in the library called Zombies, an Illustrated History of the Undead. So if this piques your interest, check it out. Um, so the zombie that comes to mind when we start talking about zombies, I think, is the one in The Walking Dead or in popular movies, a shambling corpse rotting that wants to eat our brains. Um, they're no longer people. And this modern version of the zombie showed up in the 1968 film Night of the Living Dead by George Romero. That's where we start with all of this. And since then, we've had slow zombies, fast zombies, comical zombies, romantic zombies. Zombies is metaphor for pretty much everything under the sun. But this whole idea of the living dead or the undead, the zombie, started way before George Romero's Night of the Living Dead. So we can go all the way back to the Epic of Gilgamesh, um, which is around 7th century BC. Um, and Ishtar says, in the Epic of Gilgamesh, I will knock down the gates of the underworld, I will smash the doorposts and leave the doors flat down, and the dead will go up to eat the living, and the dead will outnumber the living. Sounds a lot like a zombie apocalypse, right? Um, we also see a zombie story in the 1001 Nights, um, the history of Garib we, and... Tish, they can't hear you. <laughs> we also um, see zombies in 1001 Nights. Um, there's also Scandinavian myths, uh, including the Yegenge, which are animate corpses, usually suicides or murders. They come back to spread disease and attack the living. The Draugr, which are dead Vikings, they also attack and feed on the living and have super strength. 
And you may not know Scandinavian myths very well, but um, these are two figures that you probably saw in the Tolkien versions, Lord of the Rings. Um, so they keep kind of popping up in new versions. Uh, the Chinese also have their own mythology. Uh, there's a zombie vampire hybrid. Um, so these reanimated corpses, also typically suicides or murders, um, have the appearance of a riding corpse, white fur, hair. Um, the Egyptians, so we're going across the world for all of this, um, have the Ushabti. It's a figurine that was buried with the dead. Um, and these stood in for the pharaohs if they, had, if they were reincarnated to be worker slaves. Um, so again, they, were, they had to do manual labor. It was magic that um, infused them, and they were kind of seen as a ritual sacrifice. Um, and that kind of leads us into this idea of Haitian zombies, which we might be more familiar with as the prelude to our modern zombie. Um, the word zombie entered into the English language in 1819 um, in a history of Brazil, but it arrived in America in an 1889 article published in Harper's about Caribbean folklore. Um, and then eventually William Seabrook's The Magic Island was published, I think it was 1919, um, right around the time that the US was um, a huge power in Haiti um, and the slave trade was happening. Um, the Haitian zombies were said to be people brought back from the dead through a magical means. Um, and this magic often forced them to do the will of the conjurer. They were forced to be day laborers, workers. Um, and then these zombies were seen um, actually in real life as, um, as people who were either the slaves or put under power with psychotropic drugs. So there's this idea of the zombie that moves us throughout history, throughout mythology, and then actually ends up as part of um, a connection in the new world with slavery. Um, and I think I'll leave that with our history there and turn it over to Carrie. Cool. Yeah. So I'd like to ask Carrie to maybe talk a little bit about Gothic literature because our, you know, being that it's October and we're entering, thinking about a lot of horror movies and things, um, that's Gothic is the origins of horror. And so maybe a little history on that and connect us up to modern zombies. Well, hi, everyone. Um, I have to say that I, I love gothic fiction. I read it for fun, so I don't really have that many friends. But um, but I will say that uh, I do. I do. Um, but what I'll say is that I watched The Night of the Living Dead for the very first time, the 1967 Romero film. I watched it over the weekend. I was home alone, and it scared me. It literally scared me because it's very, very visual. And the difference between, I think, traditional, what I would call traditional Gothic fiction, if you're going to talk about vampires or the Frankenstein monster or werewolves or any of those kinds of things, and horror is the fact that it's visual now because we have film. So once the cinema came in and started revamping, I'll use that word, um, the Gothic in other ways, um, we now see it differently. When it originally came out in the 1790s, you know, all the way through the long romantic period is what we're calling that in literary studies, um, it was different. It was just supposed to be a little bit of a spine tingler. It wasn't supposed to, you know, keep you up at night looking for zombies in your closet like what happened to me. So it was a different, 
It's a different thing. It's a psychological thing in the Gothic versus horror, which is a very visual thing. So we get to see the cannibalism. We see that in the film, and that upsets us. It sh- hopefully, um, it should. Uh, but in in the in, in the traditional Gothic world of you know novels, it's different. I mean, some of them are sort of you know farcical. You're not really scared, but you're kind of grossed out a little bit, but not really. And if you read um, a novel like Frankenstein, for example, you never see the monster being made. He's made. He appears, but you don't see it. But if you watch a film, it takes about 30 minutes. And it's usually a lot of lightning, perhaps some eels, a kite, a helper. Um, there's all these other things going on. And there's usually brains in jars and whatnot. But in the book, you don't see that. You just get the sort of, sort of disgust at the idea of someone going and digging up graves. Okay, that's gross. We can all agree on that. But it's different when you see it in film versus reading it on the page. And I think that that's one thing to kind of make a, a connection between the sort of the overarching sort of art-reaching gothic world and horror, which I think now the, the lines become more and more blurred as time goes on, especially with the cinema. So I think um, one thing to note is that the original gothic works were actually political in nature in some ways. They were reactionary to the French Revolution and different things like that. And I do want to read to you one little sentence from, if you're interested in gothic studies, you need to read um, anything by the name, the, the uh, critic's name is David Punter. He is like uh, the top-notch scholar in gothic studies. And he says, the gothic frequently considered to be a genre that reemerges with particular force during times of cultural crisis and serves to negotiate the anxieties of the age by working through them in a displaced form. So you see this happening at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. It's not a coincidence that it continuously grows and grows because as cultural anxieties grow, the, the genre changes. So, King, what do you think? I totally agree. <laughs> All right. Giving you a chance to jump in. So let's think about zombie stories in the context of horror, and um, maybe less so in terms of gothic, but moving into the broader horror genre. Can we talk about a little bit how zombies um, stand out, zombie narratives stand away from other areas or different from other areas of horror films, and what makes them distinct and what they add to this overall picture of a genre in film or on the written page or wherever? Go ahead, Jason. I know you've got something to say on this. Well, um, I think Eric, when we were talking about it, he had something very, very poignant to say about zombie stories as kind of genre fiction, so I'll, I'll let him talk a lot about that. One of the things that's interesting as far as zombies is that as a literary creation, they're not quite as focused on that as they are in film and even in video games. And I think that one of the things that makes zombies so interesting and new is as opposed to Roger Ebert, who kind of classically said, video games are just video games, they're not works of narrative in and of themselves, is video games are very, very powerful for the narrative today. And some of the more interesting video games coming out even recently, State of Decay on the 360 um, is probably the best one, but there are lots and lots of video games that are really taking kind of the place of films and, and other sorts of media with regard to that, I think. So it's it's much more all-encompassing than even movies or or books might be. 
Go ahead. Um, I'm just going to jump jump in here with some ideas that I have randomly. I don't want to jump the gun too much to talking about metaphor and stuff. I'm going to hold off on that. But um, there there is an element in all zombie films that I've seen, and I'm not an expert on them, but I think it's it's not only true in the films, but in the certainly in the video games. Um, and it's true in the comics as well, which is probably the area that I know the most, and that is that there's a strong element of the genre of zombies that really is about the visual spectacle and the, of the kill, killing the zombies, and that immediate moment of threat and attack and counterattack and defense and being completely caught up in that moment. Um, it's, a, it's a roller coaster ride. It's a thrill ride. You know, that's, a, that's a huge part of it. Um, and there are some movies and there are some video games, I imagine, though I haven't actually played them, where that's the entirety of it, that it's just about killing zombies. It, it isn't about some kind of psychological metaphor. It isn't about any of this other level of stuff. It's just about, oh, my God, I'm being attacked by a walking corpse. I better kill it. <laughs> um, and, and it's important to point that out because that has to be there for it to be a zombie piece of zombie fiction, I think. Um, sure. It has to be there on some level. It may be far removed. It might be something that happened in the past um, or something that could happen but isn't happening. But it's, it's always got to be there as to, to make it something within that genre. And to me, it's the least interesting part of it. Um, I think that there's much deeper levels to the metaphors and meanings of these things than simply the, the attack. And the preview of what I'll say in a few minutes is that if you, you, any of you watch The Walking Dead TV show, which I'm going to have a lot to say about in a little bit, um, you'll, you'll note that some, there can be entire episodes where there are not even any zombies at all, right? Or they appear, you know, a token zombie or two here in the, in the background. But you don't even notice it because you're so caught up in the actual drama of it. The zombies, a little dot, dot, dot here, in The Walking Dead, the zombies are landscape. They're not actually characters. And I will leave it at that for Well, I mean, frankly, that's what I, when I asked the question, was kind of thinking, actually. Like, if you watch, you know, with Twilight and whatnot, you, you know, the vampire becomes a central part of, a central character. Like, you can't, it, you, they don't just show up and kill you and go away. Where zombies, it's often about the people more than it is about the zombies, which is different than I think a lot of other horror stuff. Well, I think it comes out of the. I'm sorry, Jason. Uh, I think it, I think it comes out of the the Gothic tradition of romanticism, where nature is overpowering. So, if zombies are, uh, you know, different sorts of metaphors for natural disasters or different kinds of things, in the romantic tradition, nature is considered sublime. You can go out and have a sublime moment looking at nature. So if something is unnatural, then you have these other issues. So Frankenstein's monster, for example, unnatural um, against nature, so he's a problem. Same thing with a vampire or a werewolf. Zombies then, because there are more of them, they're bigger, you know, versus individual versus society kind of images too with that. But I think nature is, is probably a good comparison. In the, mo in the most traditional sense of the word sublime, zombies are probably the most sublime horror villains of all. In that sense of something that's way so big, so much bigger than you that you don't even know how to psychologically deal with it. You know, a single vampire, yeah, okay, we can take it, but uh, millions of zombies, yeah. Sorry. Oh, no, no, that's okay. Um, also, I think in... Thank you. I think uh, in comparison zombies to vampires, 
there's part of us that want to be vampires. I've never seen an unattractive vampire, right? I mean, they're all sexy, and they all kind of get who they want, when they want, for the most part. But a zombie is not an attractive, uh, not an attractive character to be, um, which we were talking earlier. When people do role-playing, I'm always interested as to who plays the zombie and who plays the zombie killer. Like why someone would choose to be a zombie is beyond me. I understand why you would want to be a vampire. That looks like a lot of fun. So, you know, that's not really what this is about. But when I think of that thing, when I think of a zombie, it's a being that's like everything else. When I think of a vampire, I think of the individual from the outside who has a power that others don't have. Right. I'm sorry. Well, I think a vampire or, you know, those other supernatural creatures are... Into the microphone. Move the microphone. There you go. Here we go. Um, so vampires and all of those sexy supernatural beings, we can identify with them. So we can, we can think about ourselves in relationship to them, whereas zombies are just a disruption. They're like this wall that we run into. And so we're forced to look back on it. Still ourselves. can't hear you. One thing that's kind of pointing about zombies is the, the slow versus fast zombie connection is always there. In a world of slow zombies, there are a couple of films and a couple of other sources of media that break the trend, but you really don't have all that much to worry about from the slow zombie. Your problem is with the people around you, that they're the real enemy and that the societal breakdown is the real problem. Fast zombies, no. No, fast zombies are usually, that's the problem, and people come up with all kinds of different ways to, to deal with that, but... Yeah, slow zombies are ultimately kind of a reflection of ourselves, of <laughs> our our personal failings as a society, as an individual, the things that we would want to be but we can't be when economic changes occur or societal changes occur and we can't adapt as fast as we should be able to. Yeah, let's get into that. Good. That starts us down the metaphor. Like, what? How have zombies been used as metaphor? What do they stand for? What do they teach us? Um. This is something that I've been thinking about a lot as I was thinking about this panel. And there's some obvious ones out there if you start with the Romero films. Um, I think it was Day Dawn of the Dead when they're walking around the shopping mall, right? So many people made the obvious connection that he was mocking our consumer culture and that we are all zombies who do nothing but, you know, walk around shopping malls and do what we're told by our corporate overlords and buy stuff and consume stuff. I mean, that's, that's an obvious one. It's certainly not the only metaphor that zombies have been, have been used for, but it's actually probably, I would say, the most prevalent one. There's always an element of that in some of the more modern zombie stories. Um, I can keep going if it, unless somebody wants to jump in. What? You want? Um, there's an, there's, but there are other metaphors that have been used. There's a, um, a recent uh, television show I just saw that was on the BBC called In the Flesh. Did anybody else hear of this or see this? Anybody in the audience? Um, in this zombie story, which was very interesting, I highly recommend it. It was a mini-series, only a few episodes. But um, in this one, there's a zombie apocalypse. So it already happened. It was in the past. It only affected a small, member of, a small number of the population, but they figured out a cure. So they rounded up all the people that had become zombies, and they give them the drug that brings their personalities back. They're still dead. They're still gray and zombie-ish, but their personalities are back. So they give them makeup, and they give them this drug they have to keep taking, and they send them back into the society. And so, obviously, they, they come into a society that hates and fears them with tremendously and blames them for killing their family and friends. And so now they're a giant walking metaphor for anybody who's different. And in the TV show, it was particularly a metaphor for being gay, but it was also just about anybody who finds themselves in one of those subcultures that's ostracized mm -hmm. from society. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so it was, a, it was a unique take on zombies that I thought was interesting. It's, uh, it's funny. In theater, what I found is that most zombie plays that are based on sort of the newer zombies, the, the brain-eating, bloodthirsty ones, are generally kind of kitschy comic pieces, whether they're role-playing or a wink and a nod to the audience. It's very difficult to use them on the stage to frighten an audience. But then when I looked back at plays that are earlier that are sort of more based on, or I would connect more to the Haitian, let's say to the Haitian idea of a zombie, they're prevalent throughout, not necessarily with the, with the zombie the way we think of it, but there are plays, there's American Expressionist plays that deal with the mechanization of the world. One is called The Adding Machine in 1923, and every character is named by their number. It's Mr. One and Mrs. One, Mr. Two, Mrs. Two, Mr. Three, Mrs. Three, so on and so forth. And they go through their life, and they're all incorporated into this sort of lifeless, thoughtless, zombie-less world where everyone, of course, conforms to the same thing. And interestingly, the one person who ends up having a chance to escaping, or actually two, are ones who have sinned. One guy kills his boss on his way to work. Next thing he knows, he's electrocuted um, for capital punishment, and he ends up in heaven. Can't understand why he's in heaven, because he killed someone. Similarly, because I don't want to give the whole thing away, there's a play that would fall into theater of the absurd in the, in the uh, 50s. And it's called Rhinoceros by Eugenie Inesco. And in Rhinoceros, basically, everyone in the play is turning into a rhinoceros. People are sitting there having lunch. And, oh, you know this one? Right? And rhinoceri are running by. And why are rhinoceri running by? And more and more rhinoceroses happen. And as the play go, uh, occur, and as the play goes on, um, this one character finds he's the only person who has not turned into a rhinoceros. And he's a bit lascivious. He has some traits that aren't very good. And he tries at the end to become a rhinoceros, and he doesn't. And the playwright, it's speculated that what the playwright was trying to do was create a parallel to Nazi Germany and saying all these people who didn't want to become one, become a rhinoceros, or in our minds here, become zombified, had to or die. And so it's kind of the reverse, taking those things as metaphors for zombies, as opposed to what is in other medium, which is taking the zombie as a metaphor for the other things. So, yeah, um, I'm sorry. Um, one thing that I think is true about zombies, too, is that in some ways the interest in zombies kind of mirrors the recent Great Recession and economic decline. And a part of that is there's a sense that if there ever was a zombie apocalypse, a lot of it's the tools, the skills, the trades that people have and that are useful now are kind of useless. The lawyer, the accountant, the banker have all become creatures of an anachronistic past, and the people that have been kind of less important in the social totem pole. Uh, Romero is kind of famous for saying that the people that he thought would best survive a zombie apocalypse were very rural people, people without a whole lot of education, those that were used to living off the land. And I think if there ever was really a zombie apocalypse, most people probably wouldn't be killed by the zombies. They'd be killed by things like running out of food or drinking unclean water or things like that. Well, frankly, I'm shocked he didn't think librarians would be the most useful person. <laughs> I have another metaphor, Go Troy. Go um, I was reading this book that I checked out of the library, our library. Um, it's called Generation Zombie. And um, there's an article in here about eco-criticism and zombie fiction. So mm -hmm. any um, students doing work in maybe a composition class, doing sustainability, um, there's definitely a lot of work there um, about the uh, natural world and a relationship with zombie metaphor. 
I have some thoughts. Oh, yeah, keep going. They yeah. may segue. I may keep, segue into the next thing. That's all right. Keep okay. rolling. Uh, I think there's a bigger metaphor here in the more recent zombie fiction that's that's broader and than all of these things, but encompasses all of these things. Um, and it touches on some of the stuff that Jason said about how it reflects our current political times. And it touches on some of the stuff that Craig was saying about how uh, in, in some of the plays he was citing, um, essentially these characters are becoming people who have ceased to think or have independent wills of their own. They're just turning into rhinoceroses or something, something else in that sense. Um, in a sense, the zombies are just metaphors for us as we exist currently in our modern society, much of the time we are forced to be zombies. That is, we are human-shaped consumption machines that go about our daily business during the day with very little thought or individual will, yeah. right? Um, and we're forced to be that way by the society that we live in. We live in a really, really specialized technological society where in order to make a living, you have to stop being mostly human most of the time. That is being the person who's in charge in the present moment of your life existing and your your own survival, right? In other words, we're dependent on our survival on this giant social machine, right? And in order to get along in that machine, we have to act like zombies most of the time. My personal theory is that this is really, really psychologically stressful on human beings, right? It makes us neurotic. It makes us kind of nutty, Right. And not only that, we're surrounded by other people who are the same way. And most of those people, where I live, millions and millions of people, I will never know as human beings. I only know them as human-shaped consumption machines that move slowly through the environment and may or may not at any moment be a threat to my personal existence. In other words, I am surrounded by zombies currently at all times, right? And the reason why um, I think these zombie shows like The Walking Dead or World War Z are so popular is that they offer a catharsis to this. And that touches on what Jason was saying about, you know, who would survive a zombie apocalypse. The zombies are interesting because they end that social machine. It's gone. You are no longer a dependent on this giant structure. It's now, if you survive and don't become a zombie, it's because of your own wits, your own skills, your own abilities, your own luck, your own ability to fight and deal with other people, right? Um, so in that sense, zombies in those shows are metaphors for strangers, that is, people that you don't know, right? People that you know currently in your lives are the humans, right? Yourself and people around you. People that you don't know are all the zombies that may or may not be a threat to you, right? But in the show, right, in the, in the zombie fiction, the apocalypse has happened, society has fallen, and now, unlike the real world, it's, which is all shades of I'm, I'm partly a zombie, everybody's partly a zombie, everything, you know, it's kind of, in the zombie apocalypse, it's black and white. You're human or you're zombie, it's one or the other. If you're zombie, I can kill you without any moral repercussions whatsoever. And this is a whole other thing. Yeah. And this comes back to what I started with, which is that there's that sense which the zombie, the zombie fiction is um, uh, just a spectacle of killing, Right. Yeah. The zombies come at you and you kill them, right? It's, it's, it's extreme violence perpetuated by people with no moral repercussions whatsoever. Right. Well, and I, you know, I would say there's a whole range of zombie narratives. And the bad ones, bad, whatever that means, focuses just on, I mean, it's just about the killing, I think. Yeah. And I think the, the good ones take it, this metaphor, to another level. Um, 
last week we had a panel of philosophers and your idea about not really knowing other people in philosophy, that's called the problem of other minds. And so just as a way of advertisement, um, if you go on the library website, you can hear our philosophers talk about that and how useful the zombie is as a metaphor for these other minds that you never can really know um, beyond your own. Uh, before we get away from the metaphor idea, I wanted to kind of maybe put some pressure on Jason down there. I've heard many people talk about, especially like the film 28 Days Later from 2002-ish, um, where zombies are used to represent terrorism and how, you know, our opening speaker talked about how World War Z moves away from that. But I wonder if you could comment on that idea of zombie as, as the, the idea of terrorism in the, in the world and how that film maybe in particular connects to that. Or maybe you don't agree with that. I don't know. I think it's interesting. What I, I think that there are definitely shades in it. One thing about 20 Days Later, if you've never seen the movie, is it's one of those movies where fast zombies are present, but yet the real threat is the other humans around you. And if zombies are to represent terrorism in 20 Days Later, the thing is, at the end of the movie, this group of survivors that are all individuals find their way to a kind of paramilitary camp, where the paramilitary camp kind of drafts them and does really horrible things to them. And in a lot of ways, I think that that kind of ties in with earlier shades of George Romero. If you watch George Romero's films like Night of the Living Dead, the protagonist isn't killed by a zombie. He's killed by the policemen who come in at the very end. And he kind of mirrors that later in a film called The Crazies, which isn't entirely about zombies. But he was always very anti-governmental, as a sense that the government is there to help you, but most of the times the government's help does more harm than good. And I think that that's certainly mirrored in 28 Days Later. World War Z definitely breaks that trend for a number of different ways. The first one is World War Z is not about the individual living out kind of a fantasy of having a bunker and getting all the best stuff. It's more about collectively coming together and helping each other out, which is less interesting, I guess, for a lot of people. And also <laughs> that the government is a, a particularly benevolent force in it. Even in the film where when the family is about to get kicked off the ship, Hope I didn't ruin it for you if you haven't seen it yet. But later on, in a George Romero sort of film, that would be a perfect segue into the fact that the government is doing nefarious things along the way. But in the end, it works out okay, and the government was good. So that's a, a very strong tie-in with regard to zombies and government, I think. I think it's a very compelling argument, especially mm. since it mirrors kind of what most people are thinking about today. And in... in the other very popular zombie fiction that I'll keep going back to, which is The Walking Dead, it is kind of the the opposite, right? Um, the there are no institutions left, or which which few ones they run into, uh, or you know, if they run into new institutions that have been made, they're usually kind of evil, <laughs> right? Um, so there is in that show, it, it, that show is much more about mistrust of the central authority, um, and about creating your own new life in this new wilderness where. There, it's you know basically the Wild West, right? Um, this is my argument for The Walking Dead. It's not a horror piece. It's punctuated by every every fifteen or twenty minutes. There's a little you know thirty second horror movie that happens in the middle of The Walking Dead, <laughs> but it's mostly a western, right? And it is about a society where you make your own structures, right? You you make your way. You're not dependent on, as I put it before, the big social machine. Um, which is kind of, the, as Jason pointed out, the polar opposite of World War Z, which really is, in the end, about um, large-scale cooperation and sort of trusting that that will, will make things better for people. Um, so that's interesting. One of the things that I think is interesting about, you know, some of the modern 
takes, like World War Z, 28 Days Later, although they're very different, vastly different, as you pointed out, they still, the zombies are created by us. Like the whole reason we are in this zombie apocalypse is because we've created the mechanism for the zombie. So although the zombie might be the other, the zombie might represent ourselves, we made all of this happen. And I think that's what's interesting about, you know, looking back at the history before, um, like all of the, you know, the Haitian, the Haitian voodoo, uh, the mythology stuff, all of that comes out of someone forcing it upon them. Um, there's no kind of individual or no group collective that's, that has created the zombie. Um, and that's what we've done, whether it's nuclear fallout or environmental crisis. I mean, the zombie mm -hmm. as we have it today, I mean, they're us and we've created them, which I think opens up this whole new can of worms when we talk about what do we do about them, how yeah. do we interact with them. And doesn't that connect to the Gothic, right? I mean, one of the, the pieces of Frankenstein was you shouldn't be making life. Don't do that. Bad things happen. And, well, yeah. and death is the final barrier, right? I mean, so if the Gothic is all about, you know, the other and different borders and things like that of things not to cross, um, death is that, that border that we all will cross. Spoiler alert. Um, but uh, the... <laughs> But the problem is what happens after, and that's what it's like, it's a quintessential fear. And so, I mean, I think that's why, I think that's why zombies are different, because the sort of living dead versus, you know, Frankenstein, you know, bringing someone back from the dead, I think it's got like a different connotation to that and sort of like a powerlessness about it. And I think, too, that, you know, death being the final stage, I mean, zombie is death. I mean, so that, that, that creates a whole, whole interesting perspective on it, not mm. just, you know, oh, it's cool, oh, I get to wear a cool brain, you know, yeah. and go to the comic book convention. I, I don't, but it's a different. I'm not sure I have a lot to say about this, but I have toyed around with the idea that there's, there's even a kind of a quasi-spiritual or religious aspect to the notion of becoming zombies that might be part of why some people might be attracted to the idea of being zombies, because in spite of the horror aspect to it, you didn't die. That really. are far You're still moving around, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. The Lugosi thing. Yes. Yes. I. I, I don't know. Sort of, well, let's get into that a little bit. I mean, you know, October. We have. We're about to have a bunch of kids go dress up and walk around with, you know, axes and heads, and it's going to be. Oh, here he comes up to the door. I'll give you some candy, and you go on. And we do this every year, and not just us, but throughout the world in different ways. This idea of embracing death, this horror kind of thing, lives on. So why? I mean, why do we get into that? Like, why do we like it? What does it mean? Are we all just really nutty? Is that the bottom line? I think David Cronenberg, one of the famous horror directors, talks about the point of a horror show or a horror book as helping us find ways to cope with the fact that we're all going to die. And that's one of the major points of most world religions, too. Most world religions ultimately have to contend with the fact that how are you going to cope with that knowledge that at some point everything is going to be gone? And zombies are kind of a subversion of that because, you know, there are far worse things than death. Right. Yeah. All of the undead monsters are subversions of that notion. So there's a weird, um, horrific hopefulness in them about, you know, maybe, you know, maybe death isn't final. Um, and maybe it's easier. Maybe we just like to be scared. And maybe we <laughs> yeah, just like true. that feeling. Sure. I'm sure that if we had some psychologists on the panel, they might talk about how there's probably psychological theories out there that say you enjoy being scared precisely because that moment after you're scared out of your wits, you realize you're fine. 
Well, that's, that's, that. that's the definition of the sublime, really. Edmund Burke says, I'll read it, their definition. He says, that is the productive, uh, it is the strongest emotion of the mind which is capable of feeling. That means the sublime, which is also terrible. Mm-hmm. Right. It also reminds you that you're alive, right? I mean, in the end, what we learn is we don't, we don't want to be zombies. Am I wrong about that? Or do we want to be zombies? Depends right. on the show. Or the, the, or the comic. But I guess I mean <laughs> the metaphor for life. What right. do we want to be? Because I think, right. at the risk of losing my job, I think about our students and our teachers. And sometimes we sit out there and we see zombies out there. And sometimes you look at teachers <laughs> and we seem like zombies uh, uh, up there. Right. So Great, all the papers. So, yeah, absolutely. So, some, so sometimes I wonder when I think about the zombification, I think of the unity and I think about um, conformity. I kind of wonder if our job is sort of to create people that aren't zombies, who are free thinkers, yet these people also feel like they have to think within the way we want them to think and conform. Mm-hmm. So when right. I think of that me- the metaphor... And we're also supposed to be preparing our students to become dutiful, mindless consumption cogs in the work machine that makes the economy run, Right. Is that what you're doing in your class? I, I, well, no, I, I don't. I don't. Uh, I teach art, so well, that's not true. But um. <laughs> there is an irony, right? Because yeah. we say to students, think. You know, we want you to think for yourselves. Critical thinking. We, when we have meetings about the curriculum, we talk about how important critical thinking is. But often, in many classes, the most important thing is get the paper in on time, follow APA format, whatever. Right? I mean, there's right. still these conformist things that, in some ways, we need to have, or else it's just a mess. <laughs> Yeah. Well, but also do it, you know, what are we what are we doing? Yeah. If there was ever a zombie survival class, I would love to teach it. I I, t- I would take it. I would take it. So let's get into the so the meat of it then. We're, we're before we get out of time, and I want to save some time at the end for some questions. But you know, Night of the Living Dead kind of made this modern zombie. It's grown, but right now I feel like there's this zombie thing. Like it, they're so popular, and it they, there's been zombie films around, zombie stories, but now it's this other pop culture existence so why like why now why are we so into this just because of our one book i i have more sort of tied to what i was talking about before but i think it taps perfectly into to sum it sum it up it taps perfectly into the zeitgeist you guys know what that word means the spirit of the times um everybody right now no matter your political stripe is um mistrustful of centralized authority right doomsday preppers um eat local organic food, right? Um, uh, I, I have a whole list of things. Uh, you know, the militia movement, sovereign yeah. citizen movement, vaccine deniers. Don't, don't vaccinate your kids because there's some people out there making intentionally things that are going to make your kids sick. Every, everything is about mistrust of centralized authority right now. And I think that's particularly uniquely American. Um, it, and it has been for a very long time. But I don't think in other countries... Uh, in other cultures, the zombie thing resonates as much because I think in smaller countries that are more homogeneous in their populations, people trust authority more. They see themselves as part of a very long, a large extended family. In the United States, that's not true, right? The corporations, the businesses, the, the government agencies are not your friends, right? We're, we're, we're supposed to, we're supposed to not trust them at all. And um, I think that can be extremely negative. Yeah, I think yeah. people that live through the Arab Spring may disagree with some of that, though, that it's so uniquely American. I don't know. No, certainly. A few things I heard from Eric and from Jason made me start thinking that a zombie apocalypse is really utopian, 
And mm. in when all is said and done, right? You said the end of World War Z. We trust the government. You know, the government is there in a positive way. The go- you know, all the corporations and such have have fallen over. There seems to be something utopian about uh, right. about a zombie. But but it's the opposite kind of utopia that you see in, in The Walking Dead, which is that the fin- the utopian idea is all those things are gone now, right? Now we can finally remake society and you know and do it the right way, more like the Wild West. I do think history is kind of replete with examples of when a centralized authority can be very negative. And a centralized authority is kind of just, in its ultimate effect, a monopoly on the application of force. And most people don't like monopolies in anything. They don't like a monopoly on that they can only buy one form of shoes or one form of food or one form of clothing. So I think it's kind of natural. And I don't know. There are other countries that make really good zombie movies italy does for example but i I do agree that it's primarily an american creation i think that that reminds me of another thought i was having related to this in terms of the monopoly on force that that one of the big things that americans mistrust the most about government is that they have a license to carry firearms around with them at all times and apply them to you if you do something out of line right Government has a monopoly on violence. It's supposed to, anyway, right? Of course, we also have the Second Amendment and uh, the right to, to bear arms, and lots of people want the right to carry those guns with them loaded at all times, no matter where they go, which is also fairly uniquely American. Not, not entirely, but it's a very strong part of the American character. And I think that that completely ties into that mistrust of authority, right? That notion that the government and the police are really not ultimately trustable, so I have to be able to depend on myself and my gun Mm -hmm. to survive either a zombie apocalypse or just my neighbors down the street who I don't really know and how can I trust them? Um, So that's why I say it really ties into something about the American character. And the, the irony about it, I find, is that if you tr- if you believe um, people like Steven Pinker, do you guys know the the Harvard psychologist, psychologist uh-huh. Steven Pinker? His his theory based on uh, observable objective data is that it is precisely the abdication of uh, of the right to perpetuate violence onto authority, onto centralized authority, that has made us safer and much much less likely to die a violent death over the past several hundreds or even thousands of years. So. We as Americans absolutely psychologically mistrust that authority and their monopoly on violence. And but ironically, looked at objectively, it is precisely that monopoly on violence that makes us safer, right? And it, our our desire to arm the entire population would actually make us less safe. Psychologically, we might feel safer because we have a gun on our own hip. But as a whole group of people. Not that I'm, you know, revealing my own political stripe here or anything. But as a whole group, we would be way less safe. If everybody in this audience had a gun on them right now, we would all be much less safe, I think. Well, I, can, I, I don't know if I can add to, to that in particular, but when the Gothic started to appear in Britain um, during the Long Romantic period, it was basically um, a reaction to industrial you know, things, the Industrial Revolution and changing climate of the world. So you see a country changing in a very quick, rapid moment. And I think that we're also seeing that in our own country. And, you know, you could argue that, you know, that we're in a new Gothic revival in some ways where we have these sort of images of the um, zombie, for example, versus the what what is sometimes known as the traditional or um, 
British Gothic because there's many, I mean, there's not one type of Gothic fiction. But another thing to say, too, is the colonial aspect of all of this that is kind of more American than than a lot of things with, you know, colonial literature talks about the colonization of other places. So when England was doing that, for example, you had different discussions of things um, with regards to their their politics. So, you know, maybe that's part of it, too. I'm particularly interested in the comment that Jason, you know, this idea of why do we like zombie stories. Jason mentioned it earlier. You know, I have a list of my friends who I would bring with in the zombie apocalypse. So, you know, people who I know own weapons, people who I know are really handy. But my problem is most of them probably don't have me on their list because designing web pages, working in a library, running social media are not skills that those are skills that I have that I do on the job here. Not really useful on the run from zombies, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, to me, I, that's one reason I think I like to think about the zombie um, narratives is because it is this other world and this question of can I survive, how would I survive um, with the skills that I have and the skills we're forced to have in this society. It's not the same kind of skills where if you were, you know, a cattle rancher in 1880, you have some pretty good skills for a zombie apocalypse probably. Well, that reminds me, I mean, so, so much of, I think, post-apocalyptic literature, and this includes the zombie narrative, allows for this idea of being a hero. Like, we don't get to be heroes <laughs> in our day-to-day lives. But if you are shooting mm-hmm. down zombies Western, with your family yeah. at your back, yeah. like, then you get to be a hero. And I think imagining that and putting ourselves in that kind of crisis where we get to solve a problem that's real and in front right. of us is really satisfying. Well, it ties into sort of my idea of the, the main metaphor and, and the, the structure of our society. It, I, I always come back to an, like an evolutionary perspective. If you go back in enough thousands of years, hundreds to thousands of years, we were all heroes on a daily or weekly basis. We all contributed directly to finding that food and bringing it in or defending our families from people who are our enemies. 25,000 25, years ago, it would have been hard to have Halloween because you just got the hell scared out of you by a saber-toothed tiger, right? Yeah, yeah. Or, or your enemy that lives over the hill, right? right? But your group of, your, your clan, your group of people, or your, your town, your village, was all, were, they were all people you knew, and they all knew you, and you had a very specific, very useful role in that whole group surviving, Right. And because if you did it, they dropped you off. Yeah, right, right, or they banished you or whatever. Um, and so we had a sense that we belonged and that we were effective. We were useful, effective, and on some level, each of us a little bit a hero every, every day, every week, right? Human beings crave that psychologically. We're not happy if we don't feel useful and we don't feel like we're contributing and we have a real effect. We are agents that affect the world and affect our own survival. And I just think it's the structure of our society. Um, You know, I I feel I'm really lucky in my job in that I do have that sense that I have an impact on my students and I'm teaching them something both interesting and somewhat practical and and pragmatic in terms of how to draw. Um, And that gives me a great satisfaction. But, you know, somebody that that stamps widgets in a factory every day um, feels more like a zombie. Totally. I think now I'd like to just give an opportunity to questions from the audience um, or thoughts about why you like zombie stuff. Yes. I'll bring you the microphone so everyone can hear. Thank you. Um, I think the reason that zombies are so popular in our culture is because we are zombies in the social structure. But I also feel like, do you ever go driving at night? 
and then a rabbit runs in front of your car and then dashes away, and you're like, why did you just do that? Mm. It's the adrenaline. It's the mm. instinctive, primeval sort of thing, and that bring it brings us... For years, for so long, we've just been this. Like, I go to school. I'm getting an associate. That's all I need to think about. And it brings you back to, I'm just an animal. Mm. I am a creature on this planet. And part of living used to be that we had to do that. And so we get this, like, we like fear because it brings back that animalistic, I am, you know, a fighter. Mm. I was built, like, I don't have fingernails just to paint them. I have them, they're tools, you know, right. and that's what we are. We yeah. are animals, and it just brings you back to thinking that and it I takes think you out of society. I think in, in, in the good zombie fiction, those moments of intense drama where they're fighting the zombies are, are used just in that way to remind you, you know, that these people have this peril that they're dealing with at all, at all moments and bring you back to that feeling. You know, in bad ones, it's just a moment. It's basically, you know, violence porn, you know, just like, you know, yeah. Others on the panel or uh, questions from the audience? Yeah, comment. Uh, I believe that zombie movies wouldn't be as scary if they didn't have, uh, like, the music around when the zombies appeared and the mm. sudden jerks from the actors. I think right. it would have been like, oh, there's a zombie there. I like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, in that Romero film that scared me that I still am scared of, um, the zombie, every time they came on screen, it was silence. And the silence in that film I thought was terrifying. Mm-hmm. But it wouldn't have been meaningful if they d- didn't have the music elsewhere. Right. So it was really, it, artistically speaking, it's about how you balance the, the image and the sound together. Yeah. yeah. They, give, they give us signals. Um, for us, and of course, we know what the music means. We know what the jerky camera angle means. As far as seeing the violence, though, I mean, traditionally, at least in theater, you never saw the violence on the stage all the way until probably Shakespeare's time. Then it got bloody and gory. But traditionally, it's always about what you hear, what you visualize off stage, the reactions you see of everyone else. Mm-hmm. All of that tells the story, as you were saying, much more than the zombie. So the way we're conditioned to hear that music and the camera, yeah. that's just part of the art, not just, but. It's part of the art of filmmaking, yeah. knowing how to tell that story. And that's one reason why I have problems with a lot of horror that I just don't watch, because it really is just about, I mean, it just is violence porn. It's not about a story or about any, you know, any use of your imagination whatsoever. It's just about that moment of fright, because you, you can actually see it. Well, I mean, it's very, sorry. Its very existence is for, you know, is for that reason, so to judge it on the one thing. But if you've seen the Saw movies, right, I mean, yeah. how, how much can you kill somebody? How many? <laughs> how many? That's, see, that's, that's an example of something I wouldn't watch. We should, we should Sorry about that. Let, no, I'm, go ahead. Uh, so let me just ask a question um, for the panel then. Um, you know, there's this, well, for the audience, how many people, if I say Dracula, know who Dracula is, right? Most. How many people have read the novel Dracula? couple and frankenstein's monster everyone knows who that is how many have read frankenstein right maybe a few more and i think the zombies are getting to that level right what does it mean when you get these characters that escape from their from their original stories 
and they show up in Capital One credit card commercials or whatever it is, <laughs> like the, the, the yeah. cell phone commercial. With the, here comes a zombie selling you a cell phone. Like, what does this say about pop culture and the storytelling, and is that a success or not? Well, I think at some level we hit critical mass when they, you know, become punchlines and jokes or, you know, on those commercials when you see Frankenstein's monster in the Universal Studios commercial, he's painting someone's toenails. He's no longer scary, right? He's now a pedicurist. So, you know, right. that you, you, have, you have changed the conversation. You know, that fear is no longer there. That's why you have to keep up in the ante and making them scarier, and you know, and then sometimes bloodier to get our attention. But there's a real irony to using a zombie, say, in a commercial that's trying to sell you something. Because from the from the marketer's point of view, you're saying zombies are popular. Let's use zombies. People will have that aura of something they like associated with our product, and they'll want to buy it. The irony is that the zombie is popular because people are stressed out that they're dependent on corporations for everything. So, uh, you know, if you yeah. believe my metaphor, anyway. Right. Yeah. So. Right. Oh, yeah. I'm coming. <laughs> so that everyone can hear. Do you think zombies will get overused at any time? I'm sorry, what was that? Do you think they'll be overused? Oh, oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, any time you use a single image or, you know, any kind of formal quality too long it loses its effectiveness um it you know i mean i'd argue that the mona lisa is overused you know at a certain point she stops being a masterpiece but a yeah. tote bag and pretty soon i would think the zombie is going to be the same thing who knows maybe the mummy the invisible man's next or someone will decide upon something new and yeah. people will catch on to it but yeah it certainly is true that we are running through the gamut of horror creatures being so extremely popular um, you know, it was vampires for a while, right? And then zombies, so we got a lot we could get through. We have one up here. Kind of going off of that same thing, with the vampire and the zombie, it almost reaches a point of saturation in a way. Mm. I think, like, it almost seems funny, especially because, like, almost when Twilight came out, the the vampire was up really high, and then all of a sudden it just kind of wasn't scary anymore because they sparkled in the daylight <laughs> and don't burst right. in the flames right. anymore. Things get commodified right. and defanged, metaphorically speaking, <laughs> yeah. or literally speaking. And I think there's some romantic zombie movies, which just seems weird and gross to me. Um, but, but I do think a good storyteller is going to use whatever medium they want and tell a really great story. And I think that's mm. why The Walking Dead is successful is because it's a really good story. And so someone may, I mean, people will continue to use zombies even though we're at a saturation point. And if right. they're a good storyteller, they're going to use them effectively. And there's going to be a ton of crap out there. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, talented people. But people, like, like I said, people will, they'll get tired of it on as a whole when the commodification becomes the thing they see most and they don't see the original art anymore, just the way pe people are using it to sell you something, which, again, I think, again, it cuts out at the heart of why people are interested in it in the first place. All of these horror genres are things that I think are people like because they're waking them up from, as Alyssa put it, from your everyday reality. And as soon as you commodify it and you're using it to sell something, it puts people right back in their everyday reality, and they, they're like, well, okay, what's the next thing? Right. Okay, question up here. All right, so my question is, um, you know, like, I, like uh, I agree with them, zombies are 
in case zombies are overused, how do you keep making them, like, um, changing them, making them more scary, more, you know, give them a little uh, more of a scare to them to make, to make them be frightening throughout the years? It, well, it's an interesting you, challenge from you an make, artistic point of view. You make them computer savvy. <laughs> that's what you. That's what you do next. Right? I mean, I'm not even trying to be sarcastic. Yeah, I am. But they have to evolve with the times. And like Jason said, there was a time that zombies walked, and we said it's so stupid. They just walk. Why don't they run away from them? Yeah. Now they run because we asked that question, and eventually, what your question is is there. And the next way to destroy our humanity and individuality is, like I say, the first thing that came to my mind was computers, but it could be any number of things. A yeah. Computer uh, well, virus, right? Right. Sure. But I think it all depends on how smart the artist is that's using them. You know, I mean, you can just make them scarier by making them faster and more violent and more numbers of them, which is sort of the obvious way to go. Or you could make them more scary by having them be like, okay, they're your zombies, but you can't tell until you get up close to them because they look like normal people. Or something. I mean, something that's more psychological you could use. It all depends on you know the the artist using them. Go ahead. Romero was actually, towards the end, one of his big things was that zombies were learning, so he was having some be able to fire guns, so, which, yeah, that's is it a zombie, question I don't know. That's pretty good. I was going to comment that, um, exactly, that um, the way that zombies have, zombies have gotten scarier and scarier is they've become less like, oh, that random creature, human-shaped thing on the street that's a danger to me, it's like, that's my mom, that's my friend, yeah, yeah, that's and then also sense, yeah. giving them voices like, that's my mom speaking, that's my mom doing something. Like at the end of Shaun of the Dead, when they're playing video games together, <laughs> it's like, this is a dead, rotting, disgusting thing, and I shouldn't be near it, yeah. but my heartstrings are pulled because right. it's my best friend. Did any of you guys see the one that was, the, I didn't see it, but everyone says how good it was, the, about the 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 teenage boy who's a zombie and falls in love with the girl and they have this roma- romantic comedy zombie thing. Um, what was it called? Warm Bodies. Yes. I've heard it's good, but I haven't seen it. Yeah? Jason, you said you'd teach the uh, survival class. I would totally. What would you do during the first week? <laughs> Don't say Oh, I I'd have, I could have a curriculum worked out in like a day. It would cover everything. Um, it would cover probably survivalism in general, urban rural, how to get food, um, weaponry, and the ill use of weaponry. It would cover psychological techniques to keep yourself afloat, um, desert, tundra, boreal forest. I see. I, I see. So we expand our curriculum. Um, uh, also, I, we have a we had a panel on surviving a zombie apocalypse, which Jason was a part of. So yeah. that's on our YouTube I, channel. I have one of the thoughts that that, that yes. which is that about World War Z specifically. Um, and Max Brooks, the writer of World War Z, I think what's interesting about his work, I mean, it functions metaphorically, especially World War Z. We talked about some of the metaphors behind it. But the other thing about his work, and especially his first book, which was uh, How to Survive a Zombie Apocalypse. Is that what it's called? Zombie Survival. Zombie Survival Guy. Yeah. Guide. What was so appealing about that book is that, you know, people took it as satire, but it's n- it, he didn't write it as satire. He just wrote it straightforward, if there really was a zombie apocalypse, this is exactly what you would need to do. In other words, he treated it as realism. There's your textbook. No way. There's anybody that says... <laughs> there wasn't... A monk spade 
was his preferred weapon to kill zombies. Anybody ever okay. seen a monk spade? No way. All right. There's no okay, way I'm bringing so we're digressing from yeah. pop culture. But my point is that if we're looking at zombies, zombies being used as different genres, and I'm arguing that The Walking Dead is a Western and, and other ones are different kinds of genres, not actually horror, he was, he was, his take was let's treat zombies as, as the genre of realism. And I think that's why it's so appealing, and I think that's what Eric's kind of getting at with his question. Like, okay, thought experiment now, but not how much of a thought experiment. Let's say this is real. And I think that that, that notion is really exciting. People don't ever have that notion with vampires. Like, that they could actually, some people do. I'm not going to judge, but um, <laughs> but but um, great, much larger number of people could actually think that zombies could be real, because they actually could be. A final question from the audience. We're almost out of time. When we were talking about the diff, like the metaphors and stuff, I know we were saying that the fast zombies are just scarier now because they can keep up with us. But when it comes down to the metaphor of it, where's the difference in the fast and the slow zombies? I think in a lot of ways, slow zombies typically come out of the Romero style, which is Romero never really ever gets the idea on why slow zombies occur. In Night of the Living Dead, there's some communist satellite that falls or something, I don't know. And then in Dawn of the Dead, they say when there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. But these aren't really anything you can do anything about. You can't stop a satellite from coming back. But typically with fast zombies, at some point in the, in the narrative, they say why the zombies come about, and it's normally because of something humans did. Like in 28 Days Later, there's this rage virus that appears in World War Z, there's this sense that they have some sort of a virus that must have been created in a lab or because of overuse of antibiotics or something like that. Right. That most times the fast zombie is a creation of human beings, whereas the slow zombie is just sort of, it would have happened anyway, I think. So it's, it's more of that humans are to blame, human institutions are to blame. I would say so. Okay, so we're almost, we're pretty much out of time. We were going until two and after, but... Um, any 25-second thoughts from the panel? If not, we can... Okay. With that, I want to thank everyone for coming, and thank you for instructors. Remember, Saturday is the film. Thank you to our panel members, too. Thanks, Saturday sorry. is the film. October 23rd, our campus-wide game. Come and play. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library.